0: Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater.
1: Hi, I'm so excited you're joining us today for, again, another incredibly, deeply moving spiritual conversation. We're also going to talk about practice and recovering your practice after a very traumatic surgery and operation and having to rehabilitate yourself Using the practice of Ashtanga Yoga. So we're talking to someone who is just absolutely amazing today, Dilara Teev, and she's a beautiful woman. We're diving deep into Sufi mysticism and the Ashtanga Yoga practice as well and how they're connected. So I think this will be an episode that you learn a lot from, but also are super inspired by. And... Um, I know it will just nourish you mind, body, and soul in all the ways to continue on your own journey. Also, we're talking about B-School, where business meets spirituality. And Delara was in my B-School program uh, last year or two years back, two years back, maybe maybe even three years back. Uh, But I'm very excited to just talk to her all about how she's uh, created harmony in her business and her yoga practice and created this amazing yoga school amazing yoga program uh, that she should be super proud of and she is super proud of uh, it's it's an awesome story of perseverance and just openings and hearing the calling and having people come so uh, a wonderful wonderful inspiring episode for you today and if you would like to jump into a master class all about business and creating a business that you love, and using the online resources to help build that business, there's an opportunity to get into B-School's uh, masterclass, that, which will be happening next week. I hope that you sign up, and I will also be offering a mastermind group all through August that you can join. So uh, more on that to come, but for now, let's uh, dive into this beautiful episode with Dilara.
0: Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm your host Harmony and I'm here with Rosa Hayes. Harmony. <laughs> oh no.
2: <laughs> Did you know it's my birthday tomorrow?
0: It is.
2: Yeah, I'm so excited. Oh, yeah. You know my um my niece called me this morning to say or texted me. They, you know, yeah. the, how the kids are, they text yeah. you. They texted you, wish me a happy birthday. Fabulous. Do you, do you I just thought maybe our listeners didn't know, but I thought I think maybe you know, you remember you know her full, full name, yeah? Yeah. Do 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 you?
0: Yeah. What is it? Uh Amelia something dwende. <laughs> I
2: don't know. It's a, it's very close. It's Amelia Rose. She was named after like all these uh feminist heroes. Amelia Rose Duende. Duende. Do you remember what the the Duende yes. is? Yes. What is the Duende?
0: Uh, the climax in the sexual orgasm.
2: No, in the flamenco. Oh. God damn! <laughs> <laughs> so, so rude. It's the isn't it, is it not the climax of the of the flamenco? And we have a flamenco dancer on the show today.
0: <laughs> Hi, Dilara. How are you?
2: Dilara. 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 Hello. Dilara How are you, Dilara? <laughs>
0: Hello.
2: Hello, that's Thank a true you. story. Yeah, good. My brother refused to give her his name and then invented some other last name, last name for her. And now everyone thinks that she's a, a Latina, which is exciting <laughs> for her.
3: <laughs> for her. How many people think I'm Dolores and then it's
0: ah, yeah. Delara. Yeah.
2: Or Delera yeah. as it was known in Canada.
0: But you are not a Latina. Even though you practice the flamenca.
2: <laughs> Flamenco. No, flamenca? no, I'm Iranian. Yeah. But you're yes. not Persian, are you? Are you Iranian or are you Persian?
3: <laughs> I would be, yeah, I, I often say I'm Persian, but yeah, the empire of the Persian Empire became. Iran and got divided to Tajikistan and different countries, but the race it would be a Persian race, but from the country it Iran. Quite a
2: political thing to say. Are you in hot water now for saying that? <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs>
3: it's just uh, because an Afghan is mm-hmm. yeah. mm-hmm. Persian, you know, and. Uh, or some, some places in, yeah. and in India, you know, there was a huge Persian immigration after the conquest of Islam. And uh, parts of um, Iraq, there, there are Persians there. And so it's a mix of Jewish, Sephardis and um, uh, Persians and Arabs. And so it kind of, I think, discri- distinguishes mm-hmm. the race and, and then. You could be within a country, but you could be a Kurd right. or Azari. Um, mm-hmm. right. it's, it's, it could be a little. Really but, a little but it's not a difference. situation
2: where growing up in Iran, that if you described yourself as Persian, people might um, be upset.
3: No, and and there uh, we would say I'm I'm Iranian. Uh, we wouldn't refer to it as Persian, and I think. At least in in my experience, when I moved, uh, my family moved to Canada, um, there was this confusion, at least in high school. Many people thought um, I was from an Arabic country, and for us, that kind of hurts us. It's like, no, I'm not an Arab. Mm -hmm. I'm Persian. So then we start really distinguishing that. I'm Persian. Just to say... No, I'm not from an Arab country, and Iran is not an Arab country, and um, and many people would think that uh, I speak Arabic, and I was like, no, I speak mm-hmm. Marsi, I'm Persian, but in 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 Iran, we didn't have the need to really reiterate right. that and make sure like people under right. know right. that we're Persian. Yeah.
2: Right. Oh, amazing. You know? yeah. I I wanted to ask you if if um, you're familiar with this. Uh, Graphic novel, Purse Police, by um, Marjan Satrapi. You know it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I of course. I, I yeah. really, I fell yeah. in love with this with this graphic novel. I was a gold member at my comic book store, <laughs> and they would pass on um, comic books to, to mm-hmm. me that you know I wouldn't I wouldn't otherwise. And I just, as I was going through it and reading about Marjan, you know, growing up in iran and 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 living through the revolution in 79 and you know her experience of having to to put on a headscarf where she hadn't had to before and all the different things like i remember um, there's one particular page that really stuck with me where she had to run after the bus and uh, a couple of police officers stopped her Mm. and said hey you can't be running like that because it makes your butt jiggle too much. And she said, well, stop fucking looking at Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <You know. laughs> and it's,
3: exactly. It's, yeah. it's provoking, provoking. Likes,
2: you yeah. know, so it's, it's, it's really like, it's, it's an amazing, um, <laughs> it's an, it's amazing perspective that she has with that book because it really kind of, it, 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 it really underlines the, the issue is like of looking and the male gaze and who is, and who is trying Mm. to control the male gaze and how do you, how do you do that? It's like, well, you can, you can, you can put your girlfriend in, um, you can cover her up and that controls the male gaze or the, the, the dude can just fucking stop it. (laughs) So, and it's uh. And it's mm-hmm, certainly mm-hmm, like um, mm-hmm. having spent my adult life in yoga rooms with scantily clad women, <laughs> you know, you just kind of get used to it and you stop looking like it's just not a big deal anymore.
0: That is an interesting thing, though. I mean, it really kind of like highlights yeah. the, the locus of control, right? Like, Are you trying to control the world around you, which we all try to do in different ways at times? Or do you realize that actually you are your own source of suffering and joy and torment and distraction yeah. and try to control the world within you which is really the essence of the entire yoga practice yeah. right yeah
3: yeah yeah yeah
0: but yeah that totally
3: depends on how people are, are grown up and what they're exposed to as well I mean it's a it's quite deep it goes to like a deep psychology wow. level you know and uh, uh when uh, when I, we were living in iran for example after the problem with talibans and afghanistan we have a lot mm-hmm. of afghani refugees and um, many afghanis would come to iran and they would be doing like really like, uh, labor work construction work and even as a kid you know i would be covered up, but I had, I was in the summer wearing sandals or a caprice Mm -hmm. pants, maybe showing my ankle and these men, and, you know, I was like 10, 11, they couldn't help it. They would, because in Afghanistan already by then, all women were covered head to toe and even their eyes, they have that um, Mm -hmm. uh, screen, you know? And they couldn't help it. They would see feet, women's women's feet, and they would just their gaze would just go like, "Whoa, like, <laughs> oh their feet! God. Yeah, <laughs> Honestly, young, cool. quite young you sexy, It's just young girls' like, <laughs> me, right? <laughs> These are just like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, But I mean, for for someone who's just seen feet all yeah. the time in sandals, uh, I, I mean, it, there's nothing exciting about it, right? But if you've never seen feet or a uh, forearm yeah. or neck it's it's yeah wow, it's
0: incredible so it's just it's a hard topic yeah. to get into. yeah but it does also because
3: <laughs> it just depends on what they were exposed to yeah
0: yeah it does also kind of beg the question too is it is it actually um controlling desire or fueling desire right does does, Does the... repression
2: fuel desire? Yeah, I experienced yeah. that growing up <laughs> in the United States in the Midwest. <laughs> growing up in Iran, I I, I wonder if um, you don't necessarily identify as uh, as uh, Muslim. I think you maybe you identify as as Sufi. I think your your parents are Sufi, and I wonder if you could talk about the differences between mm-hmm. between that.
3: Generally, many Sufi paths are, have become interwoven with Islam. Um, however, the origin of uh, Sufism, it goes back to, you know, mitrism and even before that, where they were schools of chivalrous mm. behavior. Um, and they, they call it... Um, javon mardi it means like being noble noble behavior and chivalrous behavior and then after the attack of islam these schools uh, to survive because they they would burn and just you know demolish anything that was not um mm-hmm. accepting islam they had to include uh you know maybe put a sign of allah uh, in the mm-hmm. Sufi house or um, and we have prayers before um, uh, starting the reunion or like the the Sufi reunion meeting uh, they would pray you know kind of to just be like yeah guys like we submit <laughs> we're we're doing we're praying to God and we're praising God and, and they are but the definition of what God means in, in Islam shall we say you know and and uh, Sufis have, uh, Iranian Sufis have another name for Allah. And then, well, after attack of Islam, then they would start, you know, um, using the word Allah. And the mantras would become mm-hmm. Arabic, you know. And these are these were ways to survive under the Islamic rule. And uh, so then also within Islam, then many mystic paths emerged and there, shall we say Sufi mystic mm-hmm. paths oh. of, of Islam. Um, but it interestingly, it doesn't, um, then it becomes kind of like tradition, you know, a Muslim growing up in a Muslim country might uh, do Ramadan, might go to Mecca mm-hmm. for pilgrimage. Uh, Might continue with like uh, Islamic traditions, you know, or or festivities. But then at the same time, for example, in Sufism, uh, we say God is everywhere. You don't Mm. need to pray towards Mecca. You don't pray five times a day. You're remembering God with each inhale and exhale, not just five times a day. Um, Or the biggest pilgrimage is to walk away from your own ego, and um, that's the biggest uh, internal voyage. You don't need to geographically move Mm. from one destination to another. Um, So there are differences, and usually uh, Sufi masters who start questioning these um, really super Islamic rituals, like, no, you should do this and you should do that then um the the then they start questioning sufis mm-hmm. like how dare you say that you know you don't need to pray towards mecca so it, it it starts to mm-hmm. cause them problems <laughs> and at least um and then there's certain sufi paths that became totally secular so the sufi path that um i was introduced to through my parents um the second last master really tried to make this secular as after the re- revolution he was exiled in england his name is javad nurbach and he made this path um open for for everyone as a mystic path so you can be jewish you could be christian or have no religion and practice Sufism, kind of like yoga as a, as a spiritual path. So it doesn't intervene with your beliefs and practice of another religion, or you don't have to practice any religion to, to you, practice
2: Sufism. You described having, a, I, I think, quite a mystic experience quite early, and especially when when you, you met uh, your Sufi master. I wonder if you could describe that.
3: <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> but we say... Uh, Anything anything that brings it towards the little yeah. to experience. Uh, however I need. I knew him obviously through my parents and my parents were completely in love with him. You know, he had they had their pictures like beside mm. their bedside and my mom would, you know, read his poetry to me and I was like, <laughs> Yeah mom, like
0: <laughs> that's great. <laughs> you
3: know, when I was like seventeen, eighteen. And I actually would you know, um because then as a kid I would, you know, have to go to the Sufi house uh, sometimes or there was dinner and my mom would say there's no dinner at home, you gotta to come to the Sufi house for dinner and you know, I would see his pictures around the room and I kinda thought, you know, this guy, like, who's who does he think he is? Like he puts his pictures around the wall. I mean it's mm-hmm. the disciples that put his pictures uh, around, yeah. right? Not <laughs> not himself. Um so I I wasn't like so much into to him. But uh, I had this, when I was um, uh, 21, almost 22, I had a trip to Morocco. And uh, I was with my boyfriend back then. And um, I was in a town named Essaouira, And it was after all these years of being away from Iran, I, let's say after 10 years of having gone away from iran and i i wasn't able to return to iran after um it was like wow i would hear uh the mosque the prayer from the mosque 5 a.m and back then when i was in iran i hated the the prayer every anything to do with islam because we would create such resistance against islam but then when i was there i was like this is so beautiful. Like people are waking up at 5 a.m. to go to the mosque and pray. There was just like this beautiful um, feeling of like devotion and people. Um, I, I just saw a whole other side of Islam and people having faith and and this beautiful yeah. devotion, like getting up at 5 a.m. to pray, you know. And um, it started awakening things in me, and um, then I I purchased this uh, Sufi kawali flamenco CD, and I was already dancing flamenco, and it was like, I'm pretty sure you know this uh, song, Allahu, Allahu, Allahu. "Allahu." Uh, I I don't know. uh, Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. yeah. So, so I was like, whoa, like, what's happening? Like, now I'm... (laughs) Something strange started awakening in me and I became sick. I started, uh, there was this calling that my parents' master was like, I, I need to go see him. I need to go see him. I, I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. And I told my boyfriend back then who we were supposed to travel for two weeks around Morocco, I'm sorry. Like, I think I need to go see this man. I can't continue traveling. And I was wow. just crying and crying. And, um, And I called back home and my master back then lived in uh, Oxfordshire in In England. That's where he was exiled after the revolution. And uh, back then there was like, you know, uh, very hard to Google things. And um, it's just like um, we're more archaic to get a hold of someone or like Google (laughs) Sufi House London or, you know, and I was calling back home, and and I was like, "Mom, I I really want to go see your master." And and she was like, "Oh no, Han, but you need permission. You need to like come to the Sufi house first and learn the rituals and stuff. You can't <laughs> just go see the guy like this. I'm like no, I'm going. i need to go. Like, I'm, I can't anyway. So they yeah, they didn't allow me, and and um, they and it's it was it's quite, it, it was quite difficult to go see him. Also, because uh, he he's protected because many spies or really? people would want to kill him, you know, so they wouldn't allow someone who doesn't already practice and they know their name and where they come from um, and that they're already a practitioner just go to Oxfordshire to the orchard mm-hmm. where he lived and to see him. Um, but anyways, that was my destiny. I had to go back home to Canada. I was uh, still living back home. Uh, in in Vancouver, I uh, became, you know, initiated as a, as a Sufi. And uh, a few months after I went to see him. And when I, when I went to his room, he opened his arm and he, Mm -hmm. as if he knew I was coming. It was just, it was like, we're like, I just went and hugged him straight. (laughs) And um, he was already quite old. And I, um, so it's, there is no logic behind it. It's really like as if your destiny mm-hmm. is by the grace of God that you get into it. There's no rational, um, decision making saying, like, yeah, he seems like a nice guy. And <laughs> I like, I like his version. <laughs> it's like there, there was no rational, uh, decision making, but yeah. just really falling in love. And it was, after falling in love, that I started really reading his poetry and books, um, because even f- to become initiated, everyone was like, "No, but you you should read Sufi um, principles and <laughs> you know all these books and see if you actually like." Them. I was like, I, no, I don't like. I don't need this. I, I I'm in. And then actually, when I read the books, there were things that I would disagree with. You know, I was like, "No, but." no, I don't think devotion should be like this or, you know, kind mm-hmm. of like as if you read yamas and yamas mm-hmm. and they don't make sense to you. And, and uh, but there was so much uh, connection and love with him yeah. that all the writings and, you know, um, log- logistics wouldn't matter. It, it, it was just like completely kind of destroyed in a good way, that's, shattered.
2: That's mystic is a, it's a mystery. Yeah. That's it's really what it is I'm you describe yeah. you describe the experience as yeah. walking around uh in a state of drunkenness
3: yeah it it, it it I was blown away and and it took me years to recover because i I was like drunk for some years, I couldn't socialize anymore with my friends, and I would just like put on sufi music and like wow. sufi drumming and uh, I would only be able to go to like Sufi gatherings playing music for with people and people who knew the master and It was really yeah. hard to make sense of it and and integrate it into my normal life um, and people who I was in connection with uh before and kind of understand that not everyone <laughs> is into what you do, not everyone is you know drunk like you and <laughs> And and that I should still be able to connect with them. And, and um,
2: I I yes. wanted to ask about yeah. that word in particular because one of the things that struck me about the about Rumi's poetry is the the number of times that he refers to the state of drunkenness as a kind of ecstasy. And I've I had not seen that. Mm. It's a very
0: common Sufi metaphor, not really in any other religion. In so exactly,
2: much. and I and I'm. It's mystifying to me that it's not in any other kind yeah. of uh, space, but it is there, and it is kind of so appropriate. Yeah. But as a Baptist, grow growing up in Baptist country, <laughs> yeah, it's entirely it's... <laughs> inappropriate. <laughs>
3: Interesting. Yeah, because the metaphor of uh the god or the sufi master being the cup bearer and pouring wine in your cup is and 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 the disciple is thirsty for wine like begging for wine um is usually often um used mm-hmm. as a metaphor in sufi poetry and actually many more many poems are censored mm-hmm. uh, sure. after I the revolution it. in the uh, um, yeah, because they're like, oh, these yeah. Sufis are always
0: drunk and and, and in love, and I mean, and, and the a sufi tavern house really, the sufis is called the tavern. Yeah, yeah,
3: it's called Whoa. a tavern. A Suf- wow. Yeah, a tavern of love, and yeah, that's where you get to get wine, and and uh, and wine in the meaning yeah. of I don't know, grace, oh. uh, attention of the beloved. And uh and this this state of thirst, you know, because then sometimes uh the beloved gives you wine and sometimes shatters your cup. But uh they say that the disciple has to be mm-hmm. uh in equanimity, uh that, that the rejection of the master or God is as equal as um mm-hmm. it's praise or or I, pouring I was- wine. It's so
0: beautiful. Well, that one's a hard oh, one. It's, it's just practice. gorgeous. It's such a beautiful metaphor. I
2: wanted, I wanted to ask you just one more question about this state of being. Um, I didn't start drinking until my forties. I had never, I didn't really drink until then, and um, I I'm having a, an experience that um, has been ecstatic and surprising and i just wanted to ask you if this if they if they write about this um you know how you get the this i don't know if you've ever drunk but if you get these spins when you drink and the room starts to spin and so i'll find myself kind of like maybe Mm -hmm. uh, just lying in bed with the room spinning and then it comes to a like a flamenco like a duende It comes to the, it comes to a climax (laughs) of spinning, the vibration becomes faster and faster and faster. And then it releases into, and I feel myself falling down a rabbit hole and I am released into an ecstatic moment that is like a, like really an orgasm, but is kind of more like a psychogasm and then it's quite amazing but i don't hear anyone talking or writing about this in our culture at all we're oh yeah yeah, i had my ecstatic experience on 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 champagne last night (laughs) no (laughs) one ever talks about that and so i'm wondering if (laughs) if this is
0: what you're describing reminds me of like the sufi uh mystics like going in circles
2: swirling dervishes Yeah. yeah and i'm and I feel like
0: mm-hmm. I can create mm-hmm. like a mm-hmm. cult
2: around this experience. Like could get <laughs> enough women drunk and we just all lie down in a room and we, we yeah. spun together. We, no, you, you like, yeah, like go <laughs> dive deeply consciously into your spins.
3: I mean, there is a, there sure. is a link between them. Duende, Samadhi, Fana, you know and And duende is um you know Garcia Lorca would use that
2: yeah.
3: word duende, yeah, and uh duende mm-hmm. also means magic and um means magic and and i think uh that that state that you know when you see art I and mean, like you get goosebumps and it's just like no words for it and or like a singer strikes a note or you know or the pianist or whatever musician there's that that magic and that there's no word for it and um and that's that's for example in flamenco that's when they use uh like someone has duende and they've got the that special magic that is hard to describe in words just you just get goosebumps and and it uh, strikes you in the heart, you know? It's not like technically virtuous or perfect. It's just
0: like uh,
3: the voice just reaches something so deep within you and takes you into an experience. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) The (laughs) spinning. (laughs) The whirling. The whirling. (laughs) Maybe we need to explore Sufism a bit more.
2: I think we could. Yeah. You you see a lot of that in the... um, psychology mm-hmm. circles of California they they all have a kind of Sufi background
0: what I find so interesting about mm-hmm. um your description of it is um you know doing a degree in religious studies everything has its little place <laughs> in his little box that you're putting it in <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh um, And it's beautiful to hear Mm -hmm. you describe it because it's like taking it out of the box and and seeing how, you know, because in, um, you know, when you're studying religion, it's sort of like, well, this is a a Sufism is a combination of Islam and Hinduism. And it's like taking sort of things from these different religions Mm -hmm. and and maybe a little bit of Zoroasterism, but it's sort of like taking all these different things and like, yeah, and then Sufism is born. and. And it's beautiful mm-hmm. to kind of hear you describe it because um, what comes to me is that it it is it's it's not like taking all these things <laughs> as described in like a religious studies context, right? Where they're trying to make sense of something or looking at it objectively. Mm-hmm. It really brings it to life, and and that it has its own history and richness and tradition that's not. Um, borrowed in a way or like um pieced together Mm -hmm. which was always a bit more of how it was explained or described from like a academic kind of perspective
3: yeah yeah but i mean like religion can get complicated you know like you have to do this Mm -hmm. in order to reach a certain level and you have to behave like that and you're like this and that's wrong and that's right and I feel like Sufism is just really s- simple to say, but hard, hard to do. And it's saying, okay, you know, do, do whatever you want. But <laughs> Sufism mm-hmm. is about being nothing, being nothing. And how you get to become nothing is by loving and serving uh, God or the, the mani- every manifestation of God. So, in other words, other. Mm, living beings right and uh so through that through serving and loving you forget we forget our own ego and therefore become nothing and that's how the union with uh, with god or union mm-hmm. with your purusha happens and 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 then it's like and then do all your religious traditions and you know whatever you want to do but that's that's
0: just the main I love that what was the what was the uh persian word for god oh. uh we
3: either who who yeah because uh we have hat also <gasps> means truth but hat yeah. is an arabic word again hmm. but the farsi there's word a is
2: who. Yeah. there's a book in in my uh, home state of Louisiana, that was famously banned when I was in, in, in high school, voodoo hoodoo, <laughs> and
0: uh, hoodoo <laughs> that, That's in a song. And who does? Oh, I know it's does, an elaborate song, is, but with uh, David Bowie, oh, the voodoo hoodoo.
2: Oh, who does voodoo? Who does? <laughs> Yeah, who does? <laughs> God does. Yeah. That's nice. It's, excellent.
0: It, it's interesting because yeah, it also God. um it also makes me think about that word, like the question, I forget in Sanskrit, ka, right? Oh
2: yeah, that's Which a is, that's a great book.
0: Yeah. And it's sort of the yeah. it's also the first syllable of the Sanskrit alphabet. Mm. And then also kind of mm-hmm. is a um representation of like this ultimate reality, right? Yeah. Infinite, <laughs> it Infinite. can only yeah, kind yeah, of be yeah, expressed. Yeah. And so I mean, just because of English, who is like a question, right? It's like who? <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> and so again it it mm-hmm, sort of mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. this beautiful kind of um mystery. Koan, right? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you're just like third person left yeah. in that mm-hmm, emptiness, mm-hmm. actually in that state that you were talking about. Like yeah, without an answer, <laughs> In silence. Right, the void. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's
3: advised to not uh, not uh, yeah. talk about yeah. it
2: dem- as you say, it, it belittles them.
3: Because yeah, it does. It it belittles, and it's just so hard to bring it uh, into words. Right, <laughs> it's just it doesn't do justice. I mean, we could say the events that happened, just like, as I say, you know, I did this and then and I went there and I met him, but then the experience of like mm-hmm. being in his presence and how would you describe being mm-hmm. in the presence of ocean? And I don't know. It's just, it is. there are no words for it.
0: So this was your early um, journey into yeah. like a deep dive into your spiritual yeah. path and practice. And it's Lovely that it also ties yeah, into yeah. your your family traditions as well. I, but it is it's inter-
2: curious, curious. Like how? Mm. Why are you not a Sufi nun? How did you just then? Like you're calling us from a yoga studio in Switzerland. Like that's quite a divergent journey. Like you said, and then I got into Ashtanga yoga. <laughs> and like what? Did you did you know that Richard Freeman? Was teaching the Shah in Iran in 1979 and got kicked oh, yeah, out of yeah, the yeah. country. Yeah, yeah yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. that's. I mean, that's amazing. Like, there is this foothold yeah. of Ashtanga Yoga there, and you're you're a part of that history now. How did that happen for you?
3: How did I end up doing Ashtanga Yoga? Yeah. Well, how no, did you?
2: But like, you're no, you're yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're a spiritual mm. drunkard, <laughs> and then one day, ah, oh, I'm Ashtanga. Well, it's it's. Oh, they're
3: all the same thing, you know. You know, I don't want to, like, compare, <laughs> mm. but I think um, one, one complements the other, which is so interesting, you know. Mm. I have to say, um, when, when I was uh, meditating or s- sitting in a Sufi reunion, it would. It was sometimes really hard. It was really hard to sit for an hour. You know, everyone's like doing their meditation, and, and my leg would fall asleep, and there would be like ants, pins and needles in my leg, and I was like, oh. <laughs> then I would mm. get up and it's just kind, just kind of ecstasy around. as well, <laughs> and and I would be fidgeting <laughs> and. um, there was a lot of crying. I would cry a lot in, in Sufi reunions, and um, especially in the beginning.
0: Yeah.
3: And you know, then after min, I mean, not say many years, but at least six good six seven years of uh, asana practice, and then starting pranayama. I realized that my sitting meditation in the Sufi house changed a lot or just like sitting sitting meditation and i think um this this hatha yoga method that prepares the vessel for the higher limbs is so necessary at least in my experience i mean i don't know because i've Mm -hmm. seen other Mm sufis like who who've been practicing for many years like an old man just like sits there for two hours and nothing happens to him, but, <laughs> and mm-hmm. he doesn't fidget, he doesn't move, yeah. but, you know, as a young girl, it's like, okay, I sit there a little and then move a little, <laughs> and then my legs would fall, yeah. and mind chatter would start, and as much as I would start, uh, try to stay with the mantra, inner mantra with each inhale and exhale, it was difficult, but then with years of mm. asana and pranayama, I was just way more at ease and able to, to sit without fidgeting and my legs falling asleep. And um, as if also somehow the vessel, whatever was it, it was carrying, the trauma, the pain, the sadness, whatever it was stored, that would come out as tears during meditation, I was, I was much more at ease. And um, as if like some, something was cleansed out of my system. And it and it could and also being able to integrate that, you know, that high voltage I was telling you in the first years after seeing the master and oh, all these feelings and energies at the Sufi house, it was just so overwhelming like for my system. It was so hard to make sense of it, of this connection um with God or maybe little experiences of Samadhi. It was just so overwhelming whereas um practicing and preparing the vessel is it's kind of like yeah i'm witnessing or i i can make sense of this and how am i gonna apply what i'm experiencing into my into my life instead of being a weirdo who can't connect with others hey how can i like um connect with people and love them and accept them as the way they are and find some kind of something that connects us and how can i serve them how can i uh apply the teachings into the society instead of being a hermit and, and you know <laughs> just being a drunkard in my room
2: <laughs> but how do you I, I just want to ask about the 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 pivot and the moment you decided to pivot because at one point you were. You're sitting there realizing that you can't socialize. You it's hard to relate to people that don't know this feeling, this love. And I think Harmony and I understand you. Mm. To then uh, maybe I'll just do a yoga class. <laughs> how does the idea form? How do you how do you allow yourself? How how does that that young girl who's who's uh, now uh m- Militantly in a new uh cult, <laughs> then say, "Well, I'll just try this other yeah. one out."
1: I'll try this other cult out. <laughs> well,
2: who told you that was okay? Yeah,
0: well, I mean, I start. I got into
3: um, the asana practice, so it was like, "Oh, well, I've got my spiritual guide in life." But I, I'm, I, I started mm-hmm. doing yoga because of asana, and it just it, it felt like. I, I didn't even know about yamas niyamas or like you know what yo- what yoga the philosophy behind yoga is about, and it was uh, I got into yoga uh, ashtanga through my brother, which I can elaborate la- later. And uh, I, I walked into and he was like you should you should start Ashtanga, you should stop fooling around going to vinyasa classes and this and that and like, okay, I'll try it out. That's right. And I was you know, I'd done martial arts, I was dancing and I went into an Ashtanga school and like yeah, kinda of my ego was hurt. I was like, Jeez, like <laughs> i'm dying just doing like three surya namaskars and and i i was so impressed and people were just doing primary series around me nothing like crazy second or anything but just seeing someone doing garba pranasana mm, yeah. or supta kurmasana yeah <laughs> it's like what and and Embrace the sound it. of the breath and i'm doing the asana practice um, I was very stiff, uh, actually, because of flamenco dancing. My legs were very, like, tight muscle. And it, uh, just by prasarita... Because
0: yeah. you have to wear high yeah, heels, high heels too, right? And
3: a lot of footwork and yeah. impact to the lower back and hips. Yeah. So in prasarita yeah. padotanasana, I couldn't do the four positions one after another. I, I had to, like, come out, shake my legs, because it was just burning, and then I yeah. would see these like yeah. people much older than me. Like well, I was twenty three back then, like in their forties and fifties, you know, with their legs behind their head. <laughs> and I thought, mm, there's something <laughs> wrong with me. Like I should, I should be able to do this. And so I got hooked through the asana practice. And back then, I remember the only thing. I've, and this was in Spain, so the the. Bookstores didn't have much, uh, yoga books, especially in English, but the studio had, uh, Gregor Mailer's, uh, primary series book in the reception. And this is how, like, mm-hmm. like, looking at it and the beginning of the book has the Yamas, niyamas and the Sutras. It all seemed like, whoa, like, this is just. <laughs> too much but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what's going yeah, but on I'm like oh there's like a there's a deeper part
0: into this there's yeah philosophy
2: there's a thing yeah.
0: here and this was we, with borha yeah. in his oh, yeah. in his shallow, right yeah. Borja, yeah. oh yeah.
2: fantastic
0: Beautiful. oh he's such Very a lovely dude about,
2: yeah
0: it's oh. yeah, yeah. so sweet
2: your so brother sweet. arvand mm-hmm. he yeah. took you And Arvand is
0: famously (laughs) Harmony's yoga student. Yeah, Yeah, we have such a funny connection, like across the globe connection.
2: (laughs) Well, how did this happen? What's going on here? We
0: could say that it's Harmony's fault that I practice.
2: (laughs) Look at you in Switzerland teaching yoga. It's because of Harmony.
0: (laughs) So... Your brother was doing a lot of vinyasa style in yeah. Vancouver, and then he moved to Victoria for school, right? Yeah, he right? was going
3: to uh, Uvic, and he was. I, I tried to ask him the yeah. details so that I, I know I know the background a little, and he told me that he was going to this <laughs> uh, place called M- Mokshana or Mokshana. Mokshana.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. Mokshana. Yeah. yeah, it was, it was like he, vinyasa he style. It, it was in Fontaine
3: yeah. Alley, and. Uh, Jeff McKenzie was teaching there like half primary guided and he was uh, practicing with him and probably Jeff was away probably maybe in Mysore and there was another girl who was your student Harmony Darcy who was subbing who was Ah, subbing Jett and apparently you (laughs) and uh, your ex-partner had come back from Mysore recently and Darcy had asked you to come and you know just teach like one class at that Mokshana studio and my brother said that just hearing you chant he was like okay like (laughs) this is different (laughs) there's something up here Mm. and then he was like yeah and then the way she was moving around the room adjusting people and we were like not used to this at all she's quite (laughs) bossy but he was so impressed and then um maybe a few months after uh he he because darcy was going to this place this tibetan monastery you were teaching at in victoria
0: yeah, it was a t- it was a t- we were teaching in a, like a, a Tibetan okay. meditation center. All right, And uh, so he yeah. started
3: coming there little by little. And he, he yeah. told me that he was so, before walking into the room, he would feel kind of intimidated because he thought he's going somewhere really hardcore, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he's just like, <laughs> just hearing them breathe it was like <laughs> it was scary and <laughs> people were doing advanced asanas yeah. but it, so it was hard for him uh to go but something was telling him to go and practice yeah which i think i completely relate yeah. to starting ashtanga yoga it's it's impressive
0: yeah and then he like he he got so into it and he even went to mysore yeah yeah, yeah. and um yeah, I saw wow. him there. He <laughs> saw yeah. her bond. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Oh, wow. And
0: um,
3: he moved to San yeah. Francisco for his job and he um started That's to right. practice as Magnolia oh, really? there. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, remember.
2: Oh, see, your twin, Monica, she was practicing oh, okay. Magnolia. Yeah,
0: yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> I want to introduce you. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And so then he said to you he was visiting you in Spain and said we're going to this yoga no, class no, no. you know I was
2: yeah. you know what I bet yeah. I bet Arvon knows Monica Probably. I bet, he would have met another Probably. girl from yeah. Iran yeah. and
0: said
3: oh hi I I'll, I'll, ask I'll bet you yeah, 100 yeah. bucks No <laughs> but back then uh, he was mm. still in Victoria and I had moved to Madrid to pursue flamenco and uh he kept uh-huh. saying and by then i was you know going at U. I I i was going to ubc and there you know one day there was hatha class and then one day vinyasa and i didn't even know what right. style is what yes. i was just like okay i'm gonna move and yeah know, pay a drop in and go to class and um uh and but then he was like no no you you should try Ashtanga Yoga and go to a Mysore class. Look for it in Madrid. And I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. You always think you know better. And he's five <laughs> years older than me. And uh, I was just randomly walking around my neighborhood. And Borja had this little sign, very small, uh, on the rails of of his window saying Ashtanga Yoga Madrid. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is and, what my brother's oh talking my about. And I just went in and got information. and. I started it and, I was, wow. I... <laughs> and yeah, I was dying.
0: And I was dying. And I was dying. And
3: then I died.
0: And then you ended up in Mysore, India. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. You went down the yeah. rabbit hole. And, and so I know you studied with Rolf in Goa and that's where you started learning some pranayama. Mm-hmm.
2: But then you also got into Rolf and Rolfing, yeah. which is a, <laughs> a
0: different type of Rolf. Yeah.
2: I got into Rolfing. I don't do Rolfing, but I got into Rolfing uh, through Mitchell oh, Gold. Oh, beautiful. Who, maybe you know Mitchell yeah, and I Kirsten. Yeah, I do
3: know them. But I uh, I never got sessions from from Mitchell. I got into it because of Ken. Oh. Yeah, you probably know Ken from Oh <laughs> Ken, Ken the Roper. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: Ken's great. Good Did you friend. meet him in
3: Goa? I met him in Mysore, and uh, yeah, yeah. And by yeah. session three, I was like, Ken, how can I? Where do I study this? How can I? How can I start doing this? Yeah, it was incredible. Yeah, yeah.
2: there's nothing quite as amazing as having someone's whole arm up your nostril. <laughs> for something transformative
3: it's it. true and i saw his like,
2: oh.
3: little finger and i was like you're really gonna put that in my nose <laughs> like yeah yeah it'll be fine <laughs>
2: with this little pinky condom yeah like in the olive oil i was like oh that's that's not gonna work it's not gonna work at all i did the i did like 18 wow. sessions with with mitchell and um Loved it. I thought it was amazing. It <clears throat> it transformed my body. I was I had quite a a sunken mm. chest, and it was very tightly bound and wound up. And I ne- always breathed into my breathed in my belly, but now like my whole midsection is so full and open, and like I have yeah. pecs which yeah. I never had growing up, and like it's it's really it was it just absolutely transformative. Yeah. And I I remember Mitchell saying once well, like I've worked on you hard for years and never seen you whimper, and then one time I worked on your calf and you shrieked, yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's like yeah, my I don't touch my calves, you know, and it's like <laughs> please, and it's funny the the body is a really funny thing. I wonder if you can talk to us at all about your fascination with structural yeah. integration and Ida Rolf and the whole thing what is it about you that, that so I you? was
3: um, already in my I think I was 30 and and uh, I was already suffering a lot with hip pain I was still dancing and uh, that's when I was in in Mysore and discovered Ken and I had tried everything osteopathy and uh, but how I, I, I discovered rolfing through Ken in Mysore and when I had tried like sports therapy, physiotherapy, dry needling and <clears throat> when I took a session with, with uh, Ken and I told him how I have hip pain and I can't sleep at night, it's always like just pounding uh, pain Uh he started working on my arms, uh, like really excruciately deep uh, into my forearm, uh, both in the inner side and the outside. And I was like, uh, I don't know if this guy got it right. Like, I have hip pain, and <laughs> I don't know why, <laughs> why you're working on my arms. Yeah. In yeah, and like no. really meticulously, you know, going very deep into the forearm yeah. and asking me for hand movements, like, okay. And um, <clears throat> this is when I saw, well, okay, this this guy is not, can see way bigger than where you have the local pain. And so when I, for the first session, when mm-hmm. I got up uh, off the roofing table or bed, I had never felt my arms swing so freely by my side and I and I realized uh, that because no. of dancing you know flamenco you use a lot of your hands castanets and also you're yeah. always controlled you know I was taking also ballet so you never like dangle yeah. your arms be- beside. you never walk on stage just you know <laughs> right. Dangling the arms beside, yeah. it's always controlled, and there's a position, and there's always you know a gesture, yeah. Yeah. and so then you go out of yeah. the rehearsal or dance class, and you're always controlled. And I realize that there's no, yes. um, and and so the energy is being stored somewhere in the body without you know in a spiral way um, exiting the body. So with each step, the shock of each step has to get out of the body in the in a spiral way and if it's stored in the body it can you know manifest itself in the knee or hip or you know shoulder it's different for each person and Cute. um just having that freedom of walking it was already you know changing things um and uh, how mm-hmm. I was breathing how was my idea of stability in my core how it was always having you know squeezing the bellies in because that's how your dance teacher always says you know you're even sleeping with your abdomen engaged and so my diaphragm was always (laughs) hard not not free and um so yeah then then i saw wow you know the it's my pain is manifesting itself in the hip whereas I'm not breathing correctly, my ankles are stiff, my arms are not free, and the energy is being stored in, in the hip. And so it's not, there's no spiral movement in the body. And that's, and I thought, I found that so uh, fascinating, the, the way a, a rolfer or how Ida Rolf looked at a body and how it functions instead of going Uh, like focusing on where the pain is and instead looking at the body in a global Mm -hmm. way and and in gravity because many therapists just lie you down and work on you um, lying down but then you're functioning upright in gravity and moving. So then how do you integrate that Mm -hmm. manipulation you did on the table into a moving body in gravity? So that... Right. Yeah. I could go on and on.
2: about things. But I wonder if you could, um, speaking of the hip, I wonder if you could talk about the soas because Ida was like some kind of magician with the, the psoas, you know, she would like, I, I'd heard stories that she elbow. could use her psoas and her leg to, in her, yeah. to throw things across the room, with her <laughs> leg, because she was, she was such a dynamic she had such dynamic mastery of her own yeah, body. Uh,
3: so, uh, well, yeah, because um the the way she sees uh the psoas or the like an umbrella. So if the umbrella is the diaphragm, the psoas and the kuros of the diaphragm mesh into the psoas. So the psoas kind of becomes the stick or the leg of the umbrella. So and the, the diaphragm and psoas can affect one another or, you know, vice versa. So if the diaphragm is spasm, the, the psoas has a different tonus or vice versa. If we, if we lock the psoas short or too long, then it, it, it affects how we breathe. So, um, mm-hmm. and if the psoas become the leg, uh, she has this saying, for example, walking, meeting, breathing. So, the way you walk and how your legs swing and how you use your legs affects the umbrella, the, the diaphragm, or vice versa, how you breathe will affect how wow. you swing the legs. <laughs> so, it was just, I mean, and this woman, we're wow. talking about 1920s, you know, either Rolf is like the same era yes. as Einstein and Feldenkrais, Tesla and it's it's amazing how how yeah. she was already yeah. seeing these things, these connections uh, that at that age, yeah. and the fascia no one was talking about fascia as a organ of form no. yeah,
0: and that's I mean that's such a beautiful point because I mean now people think, oh mind body connection, and we store emotions in our body and fascia like transmit messages from like your big toe to the top of your head or you know we have these sort of ideas in our culture Mm -hmm. it's you know not like (laughs) as as like challenge like they're not challenging ideas for us because we've integrated this knowledge into our understanding of the world but in 1920 that's like Mm-hmm. totally yeah. out there yeah. nobody's talking about mind-body no. connection no, nobody's a- talking about the communication of the body or emotions stored in the body it's or the movement duality. of the body and how we breathe and yeah. and it all, all being integrated it's that's incredible and she was
3: doing hatha yoga yeah. Ida rolf was a hatha yogi and and it's so interesting that when you Amazing. read uh, her book, you're like, "Whoa!" She's talking about Mula Bandha, or this is Uddiyana Bandha. What she's talking about with the connection mm-hmm. of the bandhas, mm-hmm. and and there's so much connection wow. and parallelism with this Hatha Yoga that uh, that you can tell that she's being inspired by by yoga
2: also. Yeah. There's, a, I, I was uh, maybe I'm kind of going too often into the the fairies here, but I. <laughs> In in weightlifting, you see this a lot: this use of the Bandhas because they have to kind of pull themselves up into their chest and really lift up, and they have to really pull in and suck in. and And with some of these early yogis, you you see um, a relationship between weightlifting and and yoga because of their use of, mm-hmm. of Bandha. And I I think about it all the time, and I look around. Uh, at athletes, like I'll look at, like I was watching Steph Curry last night, play basketball or different athletes. And they're so hunched over and curled in and mm. a panic and they can't. And I look at them and it's like, you can't breathe. You're too round and you're like a turtle. You're mm. so round. And I think about how culturally different sorts of bodies are popular based on on a particular kind of um self-belief. And so it seems like we're in a very uponic, digestive, rounded time where everyone is curling their body, looking for like sharp abdomens, you know, sharp abdominal mm. muscles. Whereas in the twenties and thirties, like you look at like Superman on TV and black Pup's and white chef, and Clark yeah. Kent, you know, Pub yeah. Chest. And he's also he's so like heroic. His body is so open and full. He, I'm yeah, Superman, yeah, I'm here to save yeah. the day. You know and he's open and he can yeah. sing, you know. And <laughs> it's very it's a very it's uh it's amazing how these patterns are are so deeply held in the body that it also permeates Absolutely. culture. Absolutely
3: and and Idolf does talk about it, how your psychobiological being and how your background and culture affects um your body so like uh, rolfing in japan would be completely different than rolfing in spain or um the states for example spain all women are like hey, ¿qué pasa? you know like the chest is pumped up <laughs> you know? You know? it's like uh, and they're very extrovert and you know all you know very out there and then there are yeah. certain cultures that are you need to it. encourage coming out or as you're saying you know being like a you know, basketball yeah. player is a totally different um, way of carrying oneself than a, a baller- ballerina. Mm. For example, um, for me, it, because I was coming from this flamenco background, it was always, you know, the chest up. This, this was like the posture with, with the, um, it's a bit of extension mm. of the thorax. And that was creating a lot of problems mm. for my mid-back because I was always uh, engaging the, the back muscles to have this uplifted chest. And actually the ribs never had a chance mm. to exhale and relax. So it was kind of like being fixated yeah. in an inhalation pattern. And it took me years to be able to, mm. have like 25 rolling sessions probably to Release the chest and, and also um, psychologically feel okay with that because for me to exhale and relax the chest felt like I've, I have perceived myself as I'm hunching over and I'm being a ponic, whereas you would look at yourself in the mirror and be like, Oh yeah. no, actually, that's okay. It's just my perception. But because of being so up here, yeah. <laughs> uh, relaxing the chest felt like I'm yeah. collapsing. So it's so interwoven with um With our psychology yeah. and culture and environment, we we grow up.
0: What's so interesting? Did you have this experience when you were learning Ashtanga and you got to Garba Pindasana and it was like a board, like just going, <laughs> like you couldn't you even cannot, do it, you, cannot, you couldn't no. roll. You're like, how do people roll in this? No.
2: For me, <laughs> yeah, because there's no, no rounding, yeah, yeah. right? No, I was just like, just a... like
0: stuck, totally straight, and you're like, bing. No, it was just like
2: a tennis ball.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It took me so long to do Garbha Pindasana yeah. because it was the same, like stuck in that like inhale pattern and like that upper thoracic like opening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like this rounding, like uh yeah. B was impossible. Yeah. A, yeah. no problem. B, not happening no for sure <laughs> and it was that same rounding action as as um you need to do the rolling in Pindasana. and it i don't think it was actually even until i had completed second series and had been doing that for a long long time mm-hmm. and even into third series the beginning part of third series into the arm balances need where you be, really yeah. have to get that strong aponic yeah. kind of pushing
2: but well, that's that's how it, you do it changed my spine absolutely. that's how you do a handstand from sitting is you have to all to have to completely round into yeah, a tennis I can't ball. do it. you have to
0: you i have still to... to this day that's like yeah. not yeah. an yeah. action that's super normal yeah, well, for
2: sure <laughs> but it was actually i mean comparatively quite easy for me
0: yeah because you were already rounded because i was mm-hmm. already hiding mm-hmm. mm.
2: <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, so it's funny,
0: isn't it? How these different patterns you can see them also playing out in the asanas, and 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 that's one thing I love about the ashtanga sequence is it really does hit all those areas, like. Whether you have a rounding pattern, you're going to get challenged in Absolutely. other ways, right? If you have this open, like, chronic pattern, you get challenged in the uponic, you know, Balance in the other and ways. Up. Absolutely. In this. You just can't yeah. hide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> it catches all the areas. And it does
3: change us as a person, <laughs> yeah. too, because I was always so, mm-hmm. you know, in the, when with the chest open, it was like always projecting towards the future, yeah. uh, ambitious and, yeah. um, uh, uh, really out there um, and resting the chest yeah. and resting the heart within the chest brought me more within myself. I became more introvert, calmer, slower than, you know, mm. it just, it changed me completely as a, as a person. Also this, this uh, changing yeah. of uh,
2: posture.
0: Yeah, I remember
2: uh, I have a, a, you're in Switzerland. I have a, a Swiss friend, Michael. What's Michael's last name? I remember seeing Michael um, in Mysore one one day. He was reading Michael, a book. Yeah. Uh, and he's he was just South
3: African. Oh, yeah, he's South African. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. He's yeah, South in African. He Switzerland, was living yeah. in uh, Zurich. Yeah. I got in touch with him uh, a few times because he was in Zurich and then he was in Munich where I was studying roofing, but we never coincided. Oh, right. he, I think he's moved to Venezuela now oh. or married to a Venezuelan girl, oh. I think.
0: I don't know. Oh. <laughs> oh, you're thinking, she's thinking of Michael. Um, um, oh, I'm sorry.
2: Oh, I'm not thinking uh, of Michael. You're thinking
0: of Michael Hamilton. Oh, sorry. I'm thinking okay. of Michael Hamilton. Also, I believe he's South African. I <laughs> know. Okay.
2: So, but living in Switzerland. Um, so Michael was just sitting there. It was, just, it was my first trip to Mysore and I saw him and he was just breathing so effortlessly into his upper chest. And I, I looked at it and I thought, God. Damn, he's relaxed. And I'd never been, I had never been that relaxed. Yeah. yeah. Ever. And then when I and then I was because I was doing the patterning with Mitchell at the same time. I I was recognizing the pattern of breath and in the movement in the chest. It's like I've never moved my chest like that in my yeah. life. But but now it's just, it's just it's so habitual, you know, 15, 20 years later what is it oh no it's 20 years later it's 20 years later just to always be breathing here moving here and it 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 does it changes the it changes the the vibration of the brain wave by doing it and then the personality of
3: course yeah yeah yep changes absolutely
0: well, that's that is the amazing thing too. Even like just with the pranayama, right? It changes, starts to change your nervous system, and so
3: mm-hmm.
0: you can kind of approach these, um, just like the eight limbs of Ashtanga Yoga, right? Wherever you enter, it's going to affect all the other limbs. Mm-hmm. So you can you can enter through like a meditation technique, and it's going to start to change your nervous system and your body, and your breathing and your mind. Or you can enter through asana and start to change your body, and that's going to change your ability to breathe and the way that you're thinking and feeling. Mm -hmm. And it's the same, like, you know, whether it's through ralphing or um, pranayama or asana or, Mm -hmm. you know, meditation, it all like works together because of that mind-body connection that we are talking about and and the fact that they aren't different. They're so intimately integrated that. You can't affect one without affecting mm-hmm. the other. Absolutely, yeah.
2: Speaking of which, uh, when when I was reading through your bio, I was really kind of struck. I really felt like we were going to be talking to a much older <laughs> woman. You've really, you've really done a lot, and you've it's been intense. around. And I just to kind of tie a, just to tie a bow on it. Um, you just you just nearly died yeah. last year and you're you're here on the show today yeah, to talk to us about your near-death experience which took us an hour <laughs> and 15 to get around to it but um how did everything just fall you seem so healthy. oh thank you how did everything just fall apart oh uh, you? you know what the yeah, hell happened
3: it's, it's incredible i I've i mean I've I don't even remember the last time I had to go to a doctor like I have gone to a naturopath because I had I felt like I had candida overgrowth you know but this is like the the, the sickest I've been you know thank god knock on wood I've been yeah. healthy all my life and uh almost no problems you know and um you know last year uh there were a lot of big life events that happened to me uh and they were all one after another um for example i um i had to, to move uh, shala and that was huge because i had to like move from my home and the studio into one space and then there was no break it was like we did the move for example on a friday and saturday morning i had led class you know, and all Friday night with a bunch of students, I was, you know, putting the <laughs> things into place and, and, uh, and it was like just bam, 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 you know, and, and being independent, autonomous, not, not having a fixed salary, you know, the, the show must go on. <laughs> it's, it's, that's how it goes. Mm-hmm. Totally. <laughs> and, um, and then at yeah. the same time, uh, I was finishing my advanced rolfing studies and that meant Going many weekends or weeks to Munich, traveling back and forth, and uh, then the it's expensive. It's it's pricey. The and then when I'm there studying, it means I'm not making money. I'm not roving or I'm not teaching, and um, and then there there was COVID time, and there's COVID time at its own stress. It means less students coming to the shala, people falling sick, so. Uh, barely doing workshops um, you know it's just like this pressure for years like accumulating through covid and um i finished my advanced wolfing studies uh, around i think mid mid april or a- end of april and uh may i had this uh retreat and uh i i taught this retreat and i was saying okay i teach this retreat and then i really i'm really gonna take a break i really need a break and just do nothing i want to do nothing and at the retreat everyone was kind of like i don't know how you do this how do you have so much energy and uh well it was it wasn't really a retreat i call it like the intensive uh weekend i was teaching six hours uh Every day, you know, we would have afternoon classes and morning practice. And it was like, boom, 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 one after another. And everyone was saying, oh, you have so much energy. How can you do this all? And I was like, oh, I don't know, grace of God. <laughs> and four days after, I collapsed. I, I was teaching Mysore and I uh, showed a student, you know, how to, Extend from the chest in Ustrasana, and I came out of that, and I had this kind of pain with between my shoulder blades, and I thought, oh, you know, I shouldn't have demonstrated. I, I, I was stupid again, and I was like, it was just like a, you know, Ustrasana yeah. is nothing, you know, it's, yeah. it's not like an intense posture. Yeah. You know? uh, but and then, and that sometimes happens, you know, something gets stuck in there, and I thought, okay, it'll be fine. And after the Mysore class, I asked one of the guys, I said, can you crack my back? I, I Something stuck between my shoulder blades. And I, I'm not sure what it was, if it was cracking the back or if it was the demonstration. But I had a normal thorax, which is a collapsed lung. And it happens to one in 100,000 people, a spontaneous normal thorax, just out of nowhere. <laughs> oh,
2: my gosh. Yeah. Cool.
3: And, wow. uh, for four days I was breathing with one lung and I, so I was short of breath oh and I had so much pain in yeah. my whole right side, the muscles were in spasm and I just thought I have a severe COVID and I, I thought, okay, either I have a smus- muscle spasm because I demonstrated something or I have COVID. I was sure I have COVID and, um. And I was for four days at home until the result of a PCR test came out. And then I said, okay, I don't have COVID. So I went to the clinic and they did blood tests and they finally took a radiography. And then they said, Madam, ah, you've been like this for four days and you walked here? I said, yeah. <laughs> they said, you have one lung. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and they sent me immediately to... Uh, to the hospital and they said that normally um, someone that this happens to them within hours they have to go to the hospital there's no way they can just stay at home for four days and breathe mm-hmm. and um, and then there you know they they to get the air out of the layer of the pleura and lung they put a thick tube in, through the ribs to suck the air out and i was there for 4 days and then everything was okay they sent me home however and then i was at home for for 1 week and you know it has its consequences but it's not too bad i mean i i did, anyways i wasn't supposed to move my arm or use my any do any asana or anything like that for a month at least until everything heals however after a week of uh, being home, I had to go for a checkup. And this is when things go wrong. And um, the medical assistant, because there was no supervisor or um, they call it chef de cabinet, chef de clinic uh, present, the guy pulled my the thread of the stitch I had under my arm too early and the hole just opened up. And so again, I had air going into my lung and, and then I was again taken to emergency room and put another tube in and the second tube, in, it infected me. Oh my gosh. So, yeah, it oh. <laughs> was just surreal, surreal. Mm. And um, so then, and they didn't find out that I was infected, uh, like at least for a, until the a week. Uh, and then my lung was just
0: right cuz then you probably started having like a fever and like feeling yeah. really really yeah, really I bad had, infected yeah, on the inside i had yeah. so
3: much pain on um, in my in my back thinking like i'm going to lose my, oh my kidney gosh. and i said i have pain i have pain and they said oh you need to like have be patient uh, it's normal uh, it's your diaphragm and i said no like this is not this is not feeling right And uh, then they started with really heavy antibiotics, but it wasn't working. And so all this time, also with tubes going through my ribs, sucking their air out to allow the lung to expand. And the tubes are horrendously painful because they're quite thick and they go between the ribs. So I wasn't moving even a millimeter because every movement would hurt so much. Uh, so I was for three oh weeks gosh. on the bed and uh, and the lung wasn't recovering. And uh, so they finally surrender and say, okay, we don't know what to do. We, 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 I don't know what to do. The antibiotics are not working and your lung cannot stay. Can, can, I, yes? just,
2: can I just ask you, before we gloss mm. over that, you can't sleep or mm. move for 3 weeks what do you actually what do you do in that time for 3 weeks how do you what do you do if with your mind you're in
3: the mind? hospital you're yeah, stuck in the yeah. hospital right what do you do with your yeah. mind so i spent already one week 4 days in the hospital so I, then i came home then it was 3 weeks again at the hospital um my mom flew over uh immediately already hearing the first event and yeah. You know, I had so much love around me. It, I, um, it was a very uh, tragic event, but it showed me so much beauty at the same time. Uh, um, my, my mom was almost all day uh, at the hospital. And uh, it's been a long time that I moved out of home and I wasn't close to my mom. I would see her, you know, once a year for two weeks. And this event, you know, my mom was talking to me from her childhood in Iran to like storytelling, just keeping me busy. And uh, yeah, uh. And I was just connecting with my mom and she was telling me uh, details of her life and past. And my ex-partner was coming every day, students were coming every day, uh, bringing flowers, bringing kichiri, bringing watermelon juice. like. <laughs> you know just keeping me happy and and loved and um and also uh, wow. I was I was scared I, and um and since I make a living yeah. with my body I didn't know what's going to happen in the future so I was doing a lot of mantras <laughs> uh to you know yeah. keep like uh keep the fear away and have a faith and um i was putting like a lot of like chakra vibrations like keeping the energy high it's doing just basically anything and and uh, it's incredible how the level of i don't know if it was prayer or what but i remember a student brought me a little ganesha and i was just staring at this ganesha and and praying and like chanting hmm. to ganesha like move the obstacle away and um you know and like you're just no. calling to the whole universe and and really uh thinking of oh my god if i have the chance to live again to teach again to practice again how is it going to be and um mm. all kind of negativity uh, jealousy towards people uh feeling uh i don't know problems that existed before all of them went away uh it was just like oh no i just want to live again i want to do well i want to love i want to do good in this world before i before i die i mean that's i did live by these principles before but it just it just goes to another level because you kind of think this this is it like i'm gonna be crippled or I'm going to die. <laughs> so no more, mm. no more Ashtanga, yeah. no more thing. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah. 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 It's
2: also still like this is the inevitable for all of us. You're just kind of experiencing it early. Yeah.
0: But that's life changing. Like you yeah. say, it, it really reframes yeah. things. I
3: think. uh, being a dancer then moving on to being a rolfer and and uh ashtanga teacher uh there's so much identity built through physical performance and physical ability they're all related to how able you are physically and i was like wow wow like who am i or what am i going to be if i can't (laughs) perform at any of these um uh, what do you say? Jobs or or roles? Well, yeah, yeah. What am I? Yeah. Yeah. Dogs. Dharmas. How how am I gonna serve? you? Yeah. What are you without your? <laughs> name? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah.
3: Who? <laughs> who?
2: who? <laughs> cool. yeah. Just God. That's yeah. all that's left. So then someone came and saved your yeah, life.
3: Yeah, <laughs> There's a very famous uh, professor, doctor, um, because Lausanne has a. University uh, uh, hospital, and there's a professor who does um, uh, lung transplant uh, um, with less uh, inter. I forgot the proper name for it, but with less intervening, less less intervention. intervention. Um, Mm -hmm. And when they transferred me to that hospital, he kept me uh, that night, and he immediately operated me the day after he washed my lung. He said he'll do what he can. There's a chance that it won't work, but am I willing to give it a try? And I said, yeah, I mean, you're my last hope. And he washed my lung. uh, And I had, they said, we're going to do a bulectomy uh, operation on you and I. I googled I'm like what's bullectomy, <laughs> you know? and it, it showed like
0: what's a bula. Yeah, <laughs> and it
3: showed that they would you know cut through like a huge scar on the side to get into the lung, and I was so scared. But he did with less intervention, which was sending his cameras in. Already with the holes that I had with the tubes, making them a little bit larger, yeah. um, and. So he sent his cameras that uh, cut, cut, stitch, you know, everything at the same time. And he washed the lung. He scraped off a layer of my lung and he uh, stuck it. So when they scrape it off, it kind of creates inflammation. So it gets, uh, it sticks itself to the pleura. So that makes sure that the lung will not collapse again. And he also had to cut off uh, three centimeters of my higher lobe of, on the right side, and the machine uh, cuts and sews at the same time. So it's—I it, mean—it's incredible what they what they can do now. I don't know if this would have been possible uh, a decade ago. Now. And. Um, and it worked, I was, uh, after the operation, I was still in the hospital three, four days under the machines and the airs sucking the tubes going into the lung and sucking the air out. But then, uh, thank God I, I recovered. I mean, I, uh, I got out and I still had a lot of pain for some months, but I didn't have a collapsed lung and uh, the infection went away. I had to continue with antibiotics for another whole month, but it worked. Yeah. Mm.
2: I've, I've heard of this before. I have a, in Chicago, I I knew a couple, like, it was the kind of thing that happens to young men,
0: young Young, skinny skinny
3: men.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Very uncommon in women.
2: Just out of Mm -hmm. the blue. Right.
0: Yeah. God. Wow. You seem uh, fine. So. <laughs> <laughs> that was all, that was all last okay, year. Almost a year ago. So it's been uh, almost yeah. a year. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I have uh,
3: three yeah. holes under my armpit and back and a lot of scar tissue and my higher um, oh. right ribs relationship to sternum, they get stuck. So... There are certain postures that I can't do, like uh, twists or hard, or leg behind the head on the right side, because mm. collapse the chest in and become kyphotic. Mm. It's it's painful yeah. on my lung and the ribs. But I mean, who cares? <laughs> I've I've. No uh, yeah, you're yeah. alive. It's like, amazing. I mean, not important. <laughs> oh my
0: but, yeah, yeah, yeah. So how did it how did it change your your approach to life? Like, how did you even get back into practice or teaching or being active yeah, again? No,
3: before uh this happened, I was a little bit you know geeky with like I was so keen to like improve fourth series and like get complete fourth series, <laughs> and and every day that I could have. Yeah. Um, a proper practice and you know explore my fourth series. I was like, oh today I didn't like do it and I didn't give it all. <laughs> you know, kind of being Maybe. disappointed. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not working hard enough. I need to change my lifestyle even more to be ta- able to tackle that. And then uh, after this and and I was working really hard, you know, being demanding with myself, like I'm saying, for theories while yeah. having a uh, job and,
0: you know, a shallow, a shallow teaching and a job, Ralphing where you're using your body, all the yeah. things. Yeah.
3: And uh, wanting to, you know, finish my advanced studies by a certain date and all that being, being quite demanding. And after that, I really learned to slow down and take things much lightly and, uh, definitely work less give less importance to things. So, uh, some stuff at the Shala used to bother me a lot, you know, the stuff the students do, and why were they
2: talking?
0: Why did they leave the teacups out? All the
2: things <laughs> they
0: do. So why did they leave the teacups out?
3: And now it's like, OK, I said it enough times. Like. <laughs> Or, you know, just not letting things get get into me or bother me. Um, it's just not important. <laughs> and um, uh, definitely cherishing life way more, just the simplest things. Oh, my God. Getting up and breathing. The fear of not, not being able to breathe was, uh, was devastating. And... You know, I wasn't going to the bathroom. I couldn't sleep for a long time coming off morphine. Um, I couldn't even lie down. When I would lie down, the pressure would build up on my chest. So I was inclined for months. uh, And I missed so much lying down or sleeping on my side. I'm a slight side sleeper. Um, You know, just like the simplest simplest things uh, were not possible. And I mean, you're a wreck if you can't sleep. Eat, uh, breathe, <laughs> and and maybe yeah. Breathe and yeah. not doing your awesome, <laughs> press that you're so used to.
2: Um,
3: right.
2: Yeah, I used to be able to walk to get my my shirts mm. pressed, and I have to drive <laughs> now. It's really inconvenient. So I really, I feel. I really feel oh. you. Know, It's really hard to have something taken from you like that.
3: (laughs) I've also become more compassionate, I have to say. Really understanding what it Mm -hmm. means to have a lot of pain or be sick. Because it's hard to imagine. If you've never been Mm -hmm. that low in your life or bedridden or have a lot of pain in your body, it's, it's hard to imagine what another person who's incapable of doing things could feel like. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 That's such a good point. I think that's we think we understand people's experience or their bodies or what's going on for them. And I think as a a yoga teacher, often we take that approach like, well, I know best because I'm the teacher Mm -hmm. Mm And, you know, I, you're just not working hard enough or however we're talking to ourselves in Mm -hmm. our head is often how we're projecting that onto the students as Mm -hmm. well. And, and then when something like this happens, all of a sudden you realize like, oh, actually (laughs) that whole dialogue in my Mm -hmm. head was part of the problem, like driving me, pushing me, like I'm not working hard enough. I'm not doing, you know, and you have so much more self-compassion and uh, then that yeah. self-compassion naturally translates outward into compassion for others, like true compassion Absolutely. for others, not just like, Oh, you're not really working hard enough, but I'll be nice to you. Kind of compassion. Right. But like, but like really like, how can we make this easier for you? how can i serve you how can i support you and it does change how you teach as a teacher and who you are inside because all of a sudden you have self-compassion and self-love that isn't about berating yourself or driving yourself into the ground or Mm -hmm. you know like needing to be the best or whatever that is that's that is the pattern uh, and it i i mean unfortunately it takes these types of, of experiences yeah, yeah. crises yeah. yeah yeah to sometimes really integrate a more compassionate pattern to yourself yeah you know or more understanding about what suffering yeah, is what
3: suffering is
0: yeah hmm. yeah oh. yeah oh so it's beautiful and i'm glad you're alive yeah, me too. <laughs> You look all right. Yeah. But let's let's shift for a moment before we close, because we met not through Arvind, Mm -hmm. but through um, B School, where you were like starting to create your yoga shala, and you came into my B School. Mastermind group, and there was so many beautiful humans and you, yoga teachers meet, and like, coaches. Doing yoga no, we in met. School, yeah, oh. <laughs> we've never met doing yoga. We've only met building yoga schools.
2: Yes. <laughs> very surprised to hear that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, what was that experience like for you? Where were you before you kind of? Like when you were thinking, oh, should I do this? What was going yeah. through your head and why did you decide to jump in and do so it?
3: I was, I, already had a yoga shala, but I was very lucky. My first yoga shala in Switzerland, I got very lucky with this heritage building that um, wasn't giving me a long-term contract because uh, they were making only short contract, but it was a friendly price, which was a great way to start teaching yeah. because you have less students. Totally. totally. Yeah, I, I was new, I was I had just come yeah. to Switzerland. Uh however, uh they told me that they're not gonna renew the contract and they were going to demolish the building and that I have um and they weren't giving an exact date either. They were like a year or six months, you gotta leave right. and find something else. And we were in the middle of COVID also, which was so uncertain. You're like, Oh like what am I, what am I going to rent? What if we close down again? And, and, or there are all these weird rules that you can have five, ten students. And, and, um, my, my yoga Shala was running with the rent I was paying. However, when I started looking at rents at that moment, it was just triple the price for something similar and, uh, not just the rent. And then it was maybe just a piece of, you know, uh, the apartment where you had to build a shower and, uh, you know, turn it into a yoga studio because right. maybe it was a hair salon, you know. And it was just over over my budget and imagination to be able to pay that and run a yoga shala And so I, I was following you, of course. And uh, then I was like, oh, it's this B-school she's talking about. <laughs> And uh, I, I saw some of Marie's uh, things, Mary, uh, Mary's, I um, forgot her last name, Froleo, 40, for <laughs> yeah. um, uh, yeah. videos, and it seems so interesting. And I believed in it, and I said, well, you know what, I'm going to do this, I mean, what's, what am I going to lose? And uh, I actually did it twice with you because the first time I didn't get to uh, yeah. attend your tutorial, all the tutorials and do all the homework.
1: That's but right. even
3: doing some of the homework, some of the first stages, uh, which was, you know, filling yeah. the sheets about well, how do you imagine uh, your business or whatever service you're offering yeah. and how much, uh, what type of clients do you wish to have? And uh, what budget do you need for this to run? It all felt uh, a bit like um, a little too good to be true, uh, 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 or I know that's not the right word. Like, out of too much imagination, out of my reach, just the question of what kind of clients or people do you wanna work with? I was like, well, yeah, what kind of students do I wish to have? and i and i and I describe them. I describe I want dedicated, respectful, uh regular students, you know enthusiastic, <laughs> or you know, kind of like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. yeah what what kind of people do I feel like working with? And I swear to you, this is what I have right now. This is the type of people that walk into yeah. my shala right now. And um, Mm. and I and then there was this question: How much do you need to be able to make it? So I calculated an estimate of what a a studio would cost me, and then the insurance and the electricity and this and that. And when I calculated it, it was uh, it came to twelve thousand, and I was like, "Whoa! (laughs) I need to make twelve (laughs) thousand just to make it even." And it just felt, you know, too yeah. good. It's just too too much. I was like, well, I'm do- yeah, I'm just going to put it down yeah. because the exercise asks me to put it down. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so then I just took the steps. You know, it just takes you step by step. You do this. Don't don't um, stop yeah. the limiting thoughts. Just do the homework. And you know about what what do you need? Yeah. What do you want? What do you offer? Be clear about the service you like to yeah, offer yeah. and how does it make, uh, how does it change people's lives and how are others going to benefit from it? And, um, and I, uh, I, I, did find this, uh, finally this space where I'm at now. And again, it seemed just way up over my head, you know, it, it felt like a joke. It was like, no way I, I can't rent this. And, mm-hmm. um, I had only a few months to decide uh, uh, to to find the space because the contract at the other shala was uh, ending. And I remember I was uh, practicing with Cristina Caritino in Crete and I came down, I was in uh, Viparita Shalabhasana and I came down and I said to myself, you know what, if I can do this damn posture, I can make this work. Like <laughs> I was exactly. empowered somehow. It's
2: an impossible posture.
3: I was empowered. I yeah. came down I yeah. like, I'm going to do this. And I told the guy that, um, I wrote him an email. I said, okay, I'll, I'll take the apartment and, uh, and you know, people around me were like okay well you, you'll see you know you see what you're getting yourself into mm-hmm. there's still covid and there's a third wave coming oh my gosh. <laughs> and i said no no this is, right. this is this is gonna work don't worry I'll, i got this and i guess because we put the intention out there the universe hears us and came flowing the students mm-hmm. um Everything I had uh, set on that homework. How many retreats do I need to get this going? How many workshops? How many classes do we need? I had to offer afternoon classes, and not Mysore because right. less people start Mysore. And I started offering half primary guided classes. You know, doing what I could to get this going. Yeah. And now we're making way above, you know, that um, estimate to to make even to get the shala going and uh it's you know we do talk about you know the the law of vibration and blah 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 but to really do the work and to set the intentions and to be clear about what we want i think this is what b school offers take the necessary steps small steps just like ashtanga you know the vinyasa the the krama like Step by step, just do the work and then boom, um, something big happens. Mm
0: -hmm. You're (laughs) in fourth series. You're
2: in fourth series. Yeah, just like that.
0: It's amazing. It's so incredible. And the fact that you did all of this too, and then had like this massive emergency Mm -hmm. and but also had a community that was there to support you and Hold this space for you and it's just so beautiful yeah. they, what you created and built and that it's it's flourishing and growing yeah it's and it's beautiful they're like really a
3: family and that's what I wanted I also wrote in the on the sheet that you know I don't want just customers like yoga customers coming in and out of here I want I want a community I want a loving Community people sharing the same path and supporting each other on, on our path, and that's how they are. This is their they're people who come to the shala, really are so loving, such respectful beings, uh, dedicated. I mean, they're all doing their best, uh, you know, they might not practice four yeah. or five times a week, but they're, they're there, you know, they show up, yeah. and uh. It's
2: amazing. Yeah. Well, well here's what i want to do i want to um organize a workshop oh. with you i want to come this year He's next year is fine. His
0: intention. and i'm going to set up
2: this intention i want to i want to uh arrive in in switzerland i'm gonna we're gonna get something like not champagne but like prosecco <laughs> and like something cheaper like put like 20 bottles of it
0: and spin around the room?
2: No, we're gonna we're gonna drink pretty hard, but we're gonna lie down on our yoga mats <laughs> until I get each of your students to experience ecstasy.
0: Oh and I'm God. gonna walk them through how, how to
2: how how to you, you don't shy away from the spins, but like go go into, it. Go into the spin. <laughs> And I'd like to do that maybe like around Christmas. Sure, you're
3: both more Christmas. than welcome. It would be an honor
0: to have you here in Switzerland.
2: <laughs> really. That'd be amazing. We're going
0: to make this happen. And he's all of a sudden going to believe in the manifestation will, powers I of no, the individual in the universe.
2: I'm thinking of like yeah. pink champagne is what I'm
0: thinking. <laughs> we'll get pink champagne. Pink champagne yeah. on ice. Whatever you wish. <laughs>
3: Yeah, uh, well, awesome. I think your
0: students are so lucky, lucky to have you, oh, you, and I'm sure the community there is just blessed beyond measure. So. I
2: I just I couldn't believe it when Harmony handed me this, and I read through. <laughs> I didn't know you, and you know, there's you. You think you're gonna you're gonna hear about fourth series of Shtanga yoga practitioners, given that you know we're part of the community, but. This is really an amazing, amazing life story. And you're not even half done. And it's incredible. You're like a third, maybe like a third of the way. And it's incredible.
3: Ooh, really amazing. Yeah, let's see. To meet you. Thank you. Same. I mean, I've known both of you for a while and I've been following you and listening to your podcast and looking at Harmony's videos, dissecting her coordination and movement. And <laughs> oh, gosh. Mm-hmm. And COVID taking so many of her courses. So, and this is like a real pleasure and honor to be able to have this time with both of you, really. Thank
2: you. The honor is oh, ours, but yeah,
0: It is, thank you so much. And I look forward to seeing you in person Absolutely. one day soon. Hopefully next Christmas. time you're in Europe.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: I think Christmas
2: is a Zoroastrian
0: holiday. We'll plan for 2024. Yeah, Yeah, let's make (laughs) make it over a Zoroastrian holiday. Yes, (laughs) please come. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's shadow, watching the breaking waves.
2: There's a heart